the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Bullington Capital Report, hosted by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, BullingtonCapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. Well, welcome back. Wow. Losing my voice there. (laughs) So, been a pretty interesting week. Yeah, watching the market uh, drop a few percentage points in just a little bit of time. Um, In fact, let's see. Let's go back right on um, looking at the 2nd, September 2nd. By the way, did you know? that August and September are actually the worst performing months of the stock market that everybody used to think that it was October because um, my grandparents who were alive to go through the depression remembered that there was a big crash in October of uh, 1929. And by the way, that big crash was only an 11% drop. It's less then the markets range the day that Trump got elected. Now think about that. That's what caused the crash. 1929 that people remembered for decades and, and still panic over was literally just 11%. Let's see. Here's the part that was really spooky. To buy stocks, you only needed to put 10% down. <laughs> so if you put up... <laughs> Let's say your life savings was $10,000, which in 1929 was a pretty good chunk of change. Life savings was $10,000. You had it, you said, hmm, I think, wow, you mean I can buy $100,000 worth of stock? Yep. And RCA is up several hundred percent over the last few years because after all, who wouldn't want a radio? Cutting edge technology of its day. (laughs) So we're going to buy some RCA stock that's gone way, way up. And we can buy $100,000 worth of stock for $10,000, kind of like a mortgage. 10% down. Back then, a mortgage, I think it was 20% down. doesn't really matter. <laughs> so imagine the heart palpitations the day after the entire, well, not the entire, but the uh, stock market, most stocks dropped. More than 10% in one day. So if RCA only dropped 11%, not only did you lose all your money, you lost, and let's, say it's, let's say it was $100,000. You had $10,000 in savings. 1929, remember, that was a lot of money. In one day, 
not only was your 10000 in savings gone, you owed the bank or the brokerage firm another $1,000. You owed them 10% of what you'd managed to save your entire life. Sound like fun? <laughs> sounds, sounds horrible because that's what it was. And we didn't have any of the protections that we have today. Today, you can't, you're not, hardly anybody buys anything on margin anymore, except for maybe a few few hedge funds out there. But anyway, bottom line, we've had an an enormous number of 10, 15, 20% corrections throughout the life of the stock market. It's not a big deal. The market actually closed, it was not the market. By the way, the S&P 500 is not the market. I'm constantly saying that. And then I'm constantly... Uh, being lulled into using that terminology by the people who are saying it incorrectly on CNBC and the Wall Street Journal and Barron's. And <laughs> the S&P 500 is not the stock market. <laughs> and that's a, that's a killer. So everybody else, they all refer to it that way. And they're, they're wrong. It's not. Especially if you take the top 50 stocks out of it. You take the top 50 stocks out of the S&P 500 over the past year, the top 50 performers... The performance drops like a rock. So when you're looking at your 401k plan, if you're kind of confused because you don't seem to be doing as well as some of the other funds, that's why. Those funds are holding those stocks, those top 50. Almost everything else, I mean, it's come up a little, but nowhere near the extent that those have. Now, that's fine and dandy all the way up until... It hits a wall. When those 50 stocks stop being the most popular stocks, this has happened, I can't tell you how many times in my career. When when the music finally stops and everybody's trying to find a place to sit, those people that don't find a place to sit get dropped. And those stocks are going to drop. And it's just history repeats itself. The good news is not a whole lot of stocks have actually participated in this rally and have a long way to go. That's awesome. That means there's still gas left in the tank. That's that's a good idea, or a good set of conditions. So anyway, we'll come back and talk a little bit about that stuff but later in, the, in today's show, because I wanted to also hit up, you know, when we're talking about stocks fluctuating, they've always been extremely volatile. They've never not been volatile. And in fact, the volatility levels were higher in the early 1900s than they are today. Do I need to say that again? Stocks were more volatile in the early 1900s than they are today. Everybody thinks this is all new. No, it's not. It's actually a repeat. In fact, stock the volatility in the stock market had died down quite a bit after World War II and in the 50s and in the 60s. Now, when I say quite a bit, the average range per year of the New York Stock Exchange was only 50% instead of 75. <laughs> I know you feel really good about that, right? <laughs> the, uh, I'm sorry about laughing about it. It's just the, uh, it's, it, it's so, when you've been doing this as long as I have and you've seen this and people come up and they still don't know. I mean, they still don't know. I have people coming up all the time. Well, you know, uh, the stock market only is supposed to go down 15 or 16%. Uh, no, you've been looking at the data coming from these firms that sell mutual funds for a living. That's what you've been watching and listening to. And I get it. You know, if, if they feel like if they told you the truth, you wouldn't invest. You know what I say? Tell them the truth anyway. 
If they don't invest, then they don't pull out and panic, right? And the market does, by the way, start to achieve smoother returns. But if you keep misleading them, whether it's intentional or not, by publishing standard deviation or standard fluctuation, the way that the world's largest asset manager describes it, it's people are going to think they're not taking as much risk as they are. And then when they do find out that they've got twice the amount of risk they thought they were taking, they have a tendency to panic. It is, after all, only their money, it's only their life savings that's gone down twice as much as you told them it was going to go down. <laughs> oh, it barely, that hardly ever happens. Well, it's happened about six times in my lifetime, and I'm not that old. I mean, I'm old, but I ain't that old. <laughs> so the, uh, I guess... Feeling the angst this morning. <laughs> and uh, that's just because you know, people are so ill-informed. And the fake news, by the way, in my industry has been here since the day I started 32 years ago. The uh, It's been there the whole time. So the fact that it's actually kind of bled over into all news is the, uh, I'm going, wow, okay, that's, that's okay. I've been dealing with this for 32 years. So Here's my suggestion. Don't take anything you hear anywhere. Don't believe anybody. Don't believe me. Look it up. You've got Google now. And you know how valuable that is? You know how difficult it was to go and check on, do fact checking back when I was in college? I went to, I graduated from Kent State. And I was just reminded yesterday just how big that library is. I forgot about that. When I was in college, that was we had the biggest library in the state of Ohio. The people from Ohio State University, Case Western, all the big schools, that, prestigious schools, they used to come to Kent because we had more books than they did. <laughs> we had more research material. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool, too, because we didn't have to worry about that. I thought it was really cool when we had this one English translation of a, of a book that was in my upper-level French class that I was really struggling with. But you weren't allowed to take the book out of the library. Well, I forgot what they called that when the book's just there. They have a name for that. Anyway, and these books had little tags on them. And if you tried to walk the book through the device that detected the tag, which you had to walk through to leave the library, it would set off the alarm. And they would know that you had the book. Unbeknownst to Kent, they put that scanner much too close to the countertop that was right next to it. Because when I walked through it with that book, I just reached my arm around, slid the book down the counter on the outside, picked it up on the other side, and took off. <laughs> now, I did not keep the book. I gave the book back. I made sure I put the book back at the end of the semester. But see, I played football. And people are jealous of football players. You got a free ride free. I have never worked that hard again. Ever. I will never work that hard again in my entire life. <laughs> I was not one of the talented, super talented. I was just hard-nosed. And it took its toll, <laughs> believe me. <laughs> 50 to 60 hours a week minimum, 10 months out of year. You got two weeks off at Christmas. You got six weeks off at, for summer school. Thank God, because I would have never graduated had it not been for summer school. And the uh, and that was it. And we're supposed to compete with all these kids who slept until noon every day. 
That was the common thing. I'd be on the bus headed out to the athletic complex, which is a couple miles. By the way, I was just there yesterday. They've actually filled, Ken has filled in from the main campus all the way to the football stadium with stuff, buildings, (laughs) uh, athletic facilities, you name it, classrooms. It's unbelievable how big that school is. So anyway, back in those days, you had to walk. And when the coaches held you over for practice and you didn't get out till nine o'clock, and by the way, you were there at noon, and the buses stopped running at eight thirty, and you see this big long of long line of people walking back towards campus. That were those were the football players, and uh, so we got to walk the couple miles it was back to campus. I don't know if it's a couple miles or not. It's over a mile, whatever it was, and it's nine o'clock at night. Try that on for size. So anyway, I did not feel bad about sneaking that book out of the library. <laughs> I just did not feel bad. And I, and I I put it back. But it was so funny because I would be at the student center and I'd be reading the chapter in English okay, right before the class because it's about all the time I had. And I'd read the chapter and I saw these kids that were in my class and I heard their conversation. And they were talking about me. They didn't know I was there sitting there. They're going, who is that kid? That you know the one blah 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 they described us. Oh, yeah, I know what they're talking about. They, how does he know all the answers to all the questions that the teacher? He must be studying for hours. I was just laughing. Yeah, it's like fifteen minutes before class. <laughs> and then another kid goes, "Yeah, I know. You know what? I found out there was an English translation of that book in the library, and somebody snuck it out. <laughs> I was reading that book." <laughs> When he said that, <laughs> and I had, I'll, I'll probably get a call from the dean and scholar. You're going to take my, <laughs> take my diploma back. <laughs> but I did make a very nice book cover for it, so nobody could recognize that that was the book. <laughs> and I would take it out, and uh, even the kids. I used to carry that book to the class. You know, but bottom line was, you find a way, you get through it. And I'm sorry to take all this time to talk about this because I know you want to talk about it. investing. Sometimes I get bored investing. It gets boring after you look at the same numbers, same stocks year after year. Uh, there are changes that come along. There used to be lots of changes. It's not so much this right now. I will tell you one thing. The, uh, the thing that has changed a lot is that interest rates are low, probably remaining low for an incredibly long time period. Now, when I hear people, when some people hear that, they bury their hands like they are part ostrich. Hands. They bury their heads like they're part ostrich, hoping beyond hope that interest rates are actually going to come back. And, and incidentally, if interest rates were five or six percent right around their long term averages on treasury CDs, bonds from high quality companies, if the rates were back there again, I w- we wouldn't be having this conversation, the one about guaranteed incomes. And right now, the uh, fixed annuities, fixed indexed annuities, they're an option. They're very viable. I wouldn't be talking about them, though, if, if we could get a 5 or 6% CD. There would be no need. And having said that, I took a look at a couple of, of annuities this week for one of my clients. And, and by the way, I'll make the same you know, um, offer. If anybody wants me to take a, a quick look at their annuity to figure out whether or not you can improve on it. 
is there a new product out there that might be better suited for you? I'll do it and I'll give you my honest opinion. I don't really care. In fact, my, my client, I looked at what he was doing and I said, you know what? You really can't afford to give up the guarantees that they've made. The guarantees are higher than the cash surrender values. This is all language that you'll become familiar with if you ever start looking hard into annuities. The, uh, a lot of people think annuity is a, a bad four-letter word. They can't count. Annuity has a lot more than four letters. I'm just kidding. The, uh, <laughs> but an annuity is uh, used to be, you know, oh, you know, mm, we're not going to do annuities. Well, you know what? As an alternative to a portion of your fixed income port- uh, account, I think they make a tremendous amount of sense. Tremendous amount of sense. Today, given where we are today, I know some people just absolutely positively hate any sort of change, any form of change. A lot of people hate that. They don't want it. They want everything to stay there. I remember back in my day. Okay, me too. And I hope I never get to that point where I just stop looking at things because it can be costly. So anyway, my point to this whole thing is that you've got interest rates out there that are being offered up by insurance companies who offer a, this is a new type of a product. Some of them have been around for a long time, but there have been changes made over the past couple of years that make them significantly different than what they were before. And if you've got one that's older than five or six years, you should probably have it looked at. Now that I hear the music, I guess I'm going to look at something else while we go on commercial break. This is Bill Bullington. I'm right here on 1420. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. back. You're listening to Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. If you hear something you'd like more information on, feel free to go to my website. That's bullingtoncapital.com. Also, feel free to call us 216-901-0945 if you have a question during the radio show. Uh, and you can also send me a question through my website. Now, it's very interesting. I get a lot of inquiries. I would say probably nine out of 10 forget to put the question on the inquiry. So when I get the inquiry, it says somebody has a question and then it doesn't say what it is. (laughs) So if you wouldn't mind, uh, if you have a question, just uh, feel free to jot, you know, really quickly what it is that you wanted more information on. I'll be glad to send that to you. Uh, And uh, as always, there's no costs and uh, no pesky salespeople are going to call. I promise, you know, we have a, I have a difficult time of, of keeping up with everybody that wants to talk to me. <laughs> so um, nobody's going to pursue you and you know try to put the high-pressure sales techniques because we're not low-pressure. We are no pressure. You can call and ask questions, which is kind of what we were talking about, You know, the guaranteed income levels off of uh, fixed and indexed. By the way, there are thousands of different types of annuities out there. When I say types, I guess I should say thousands of different Annuities that have different rules governing that particular product. And that's why it's incredibly difficult 
to tell these all apart. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that you have to become familiar with in order to do a halfway decent analysis on a lot of these things. So a lot of them are, uh, um, are pretty good. They're actually very good, particularly given the fact that you know, interest rates are low. The national debt is up its, at its highest levels. It's actually starting to go above the level that it was after 1945 when we had all that debt for World War II. Um, so, you know, if, if you were able to choose your own interest rate and you owed that much money, what would you choose? Would you choose to penalize yourself by paying more interest? I don't know. I don't think that's a really good idea, but anyway, the, uh, okay. I've got a, uh, take a real quick call here actually. And again, if you'd like to call in 216-901-0945, and I got Phil. Hey, Phil. Is this Uncle hey. Phil? It is. Oh, hey. How you doing? Good, Bill. Hey, Bill, I got a question. That's not my main question, but my first question is, Bill, when you were sick several months ago, right. when was that? When uh, was that? It, it was actually in the, it was the last part of November and all of December. It was several weeks. Oh, my God. I was oh, going home. I, oh. I only went into the office for a couple of hours a day. That's all I could do. And I had to go home. I was probably sleeping around 16 hours a day. And when I wasn't sleeping, I was probably taking a shower because I, I, my temperature kept fluctuating wildly. Mm. And, uh, I had so many symptoms that they're not talking about. I don't, I don't know. So I have no idea. I had the really bad congestion. You know, the, where you, where you roll your head and you can feel the liquid moving in your sinuses. Well, I had that. I, I felt like somebody was reaching him to my, abdomen grabbing my intestines and twisting them the uh that was a trip i felt like somebody had beaten me on the back with with a uh, two by four (laughs) oh my gosh and uh that was way before bill anybody even knew what was going on no yeah i so i think it i i'm pretty sure it's been around before they really knew that it was around yeah pretty sure a lot of people i keep Threatening, I can't, I can't. Uh, I haven't been able to find the time to go and, and give blood because that you know they'll they'll search for antibodies. If the antibodies are still present, now we're starting to hear that the antibodies may not be present after you've gotten over the illness, or it may we may not have enough of them to be detectable. So I don't know, but uh, wow, yeah. and you're a healthy guy normally, no? Uh, yeah, and at that time, you know, I was running four or five times a week, uh, a couple miles, you know, at a time. Wow. And so Jeez. I was pretty, uh, I was pretty surprised. I, 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 bet. I remember looking up this up at my ceiling and saying, God, you can take me now if you'd like. <laughs> oh, Bill, and also did that come on real suddenly for you or snuck up on you? You know what? It was, um, over about a week I started feeling yeah. bad and then it just went from bad to worse. And oh, then, then it got really bad in, uh, Jeez. yeah. So I don't know. You know, I have no Dude. idea. Okay. I just well, know I've never been, it. I've never been that sick before. And, you know, I had my appendix removed in an emergency surgery. I didn't yeah. feel as bad during that <laughs> as, as I did last, <laughs> last November. So. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, so much for that. I'm glad you're better. And I think you must've had that virus back then. You had I, to be. I, th- I think so. So hopefully I'll oh. get some time and be able to go get blood so they can check for antibodies. Yeah. Hey, Bill, here's my question, though. Uh, 
a few weeks ago, you mentioned on the show that I think, unless I misunderstood, you had a new model with two funds in it. You oh, want there's, to talk about that? Yeah, there's there's three funds in it, and it it's actually not a new model. Um, all the stocks, it, it's concentrated on the healthcare industry, and okay. there are three different aspects of it. Um, one of the funds concentrates on biotech. One of them uh, concentrates on medical equipment, and the other one's uh, pharmaceuticals. So I've tried to get uh, good coverage because the entire industry uh, has always been, well, I shouldn't say I was always, uh, it's been a very good industry. The growth rate is higher than most other industries are. That comes with an aging of the population as, you know, as people get older, their body starts to wear out. So they go to the doctor more frequently. And that's just, you know, that, that just has to do with the general aging of the population. So it creates yeah. a lot of demand there. Um, and I never really concentrated a portfolio on that. A couple reasons. The uh, Department of Labor and uh, fiduciary standards frown on making a concentrated investment in any one industry. And they lead you to believe that you know doing that's going to increase your risk and you're not going to make the same returns. And you know what? The, uh, I'll tell you what. Why don't you let me decide for myself what I can do, what I can do with my money? It was an idea. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, that, that was my thought yeah. process. And, and, and I talked to my lawyer about it and said, he said, just, you know, make sure you get it in writing and, uh, mm-hmm. and then you're okay. So I went okay. back and I looked at these three healthcare funds. They're actually, they uh, are managed by Fidelity. They're actively managed. They're not ETFs, uh, which I like in that particular space. And uh, so you put them together, you look back over the, the they, and they've got very long histories. You'll see, when the Clintons were in office and they were going to uh, regulate the healthcare industry, it it went down a lot, you know. And then as soon as they got out and that risk went away, it, it went right back up. But it, it's done very well. It's done very well. Mm-hmm. And gotcha, good. Everybody needs. I I feel like everybody needs the option to say, you know what? I think I would like to have a uh, a larger portion of my portfolio allocated to that particular industry because I like it. I believe in it. The sales growth there has been higher than the national growth of the economy by, you know, three or four fold. Uh, I don't see that going away anytime soon. And if I limit that to 10% or less of my stock money, it really can't kill me anyway. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Good. Well, good. Thank you. And uh, I'm glad you're well. Oh, thanks. I forgot how early that was. You know, I, I thought it was more like, you know, January, but no, it's yeah. back in November. Right. Weird. Yep. Right. Well, yep. what I can tell you is uh, keep doing what you're doing and uh, keep up the good work. Oh, thanks. I appreciate and, it. Uh, enjoy the show. Uh, thank you very much. Have a good weekend. You're welcome. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Yep. And, uh, you know, that's actually a an investment advisor is really a risk manager when it, when you're really, when it comes down to it. How much risk are you taking? If I have three funds that are are managed by portfolio managers and they all represent different aspects of one industry, is that really a lot riskier? I guess it depends on the industry. But is that a lot riskier than than not doing it? I don't think so. Actually, I can show you the numbers on that. I can show you the portfolio numbers. And I can tell you, it hasn't been riskier. So uh, that's pretty good. When you add that to semiconductors, that's another model where I'm overweighting because of the 5G thing. That's a 
macroeconomic event that's occurring as I speak and uh, something we're living through. It's a, uh, and that, I think that's a really good way to try to take advantage of that. And there are five funds that, that actually are in that space. Four of them have been around for a very long time. Well, at least for 10 years, the, uh, which is a pretty long time in the uh, view of ETFs. I can't tell you how many of those shut down every week because they don't have enough assets in them to keep them open. And I can't tell you how many actively managed mutual funds have shut down over the past few years because they've been moving money into exchange-traded funds. So, like I've always said, nothing is as constant as change. And to keep up with the change, you know, that's kind of what this whole show is about. Keeping up with the change. It's not that easy of a task because you got 330 million really busy people in this country. And then when you add that to the, you know, 6.7 billion people outside this country, <laughs> it's a lot, a lot of potential change there. Very, fairly difficult to keep up with. But the main thing is just try to get a good idea of how much risk you're taking. That's going to have the biggest impact on everything you do. When people come in and they're upset. It's Normally, it's not typically the portfolio that they have. It's their understanding of what they have. Most people don't really know what they have. And I get it. Nobody wants to do what I do for a living. It's boring. It's very boring. And it's technical. It's highly, can be highly technical. But it's like saying, well, I live in America and I don't ever want to learn how to drive. Okay, don't drive. Your life is going to be a lot harder. But you don't have to learn how to drive. Now, the big difference between learning to drive a car, my opinion again, and learning how to invest is that there's no requirement that you learn how to invest because you're probably not going to run people over. (laughs) But to drive a car, you have to go through 50 hours, 50 hours of training, and you have to study and you have to take a test. And uh, But they'll let you invest in your portfolio with nothing. Hey, here you go. Awesome. (laughs) And you know, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. I think yeah, I should. I, I think everybody should have to take a test. I think this should be part of a junior high school level curriculum because you know all the math at that point in time. All you really need to know are percentages really well. And uh, they should start teaching at that level. And then you'd have people that were, uh, were doing very, very well, very well. And they would understand things like the lookout for the bull website. Okay, look out for the bull website is all about managing risk. Go read the 1% rule. Thanks for uh, Paul called in last week, got that answer. And by the way, he reminded me, I forgot to send him his card. It's in my desk, by the way. So uh, the 1% rule is kind of the key to that. If you like individual stocks, if this is, if you'd like to have a hobby, if you'd like to have a hobby that has the potential to make you money, most hobbies cost you money. This is a hobby where you can have the potential to make money. And I like that idea a lot. I think it's kind of cool. It's actually been relegated to a hobby level in my portfolio. I just don't have time. And if you don't have time, the uh, you probably need to be doing what I'm doing. Take less than 20% of your assets. Put it in an account. Go through the scans that come up on the lookout for the bull. 
you can look into the companies, find the find the ones that you like, and follow the one percent rule. And then you know what? And it's kind of cool. And when we are able to get back together and do um, seminars, I'll, I'll talk about it. I'll show you what we're doing. I'll show you exactly what we're doing. And uh, I think it's a lot of fun. So here's one. Having said that, Canadian Solar Incorporated, it came up on a scan. And the symbol is CSIQ. It, this thing has come up a lot. Canadian Solar, they, they, I'm pretty sure that it's a semiconductor manufacturer that I've owned multiple times which is really funny that I'm only pretty sure what they do. And I've owned the stock multiple times. <laughs> the, uh, let's see, that's the thing. When you're doing this, I already know that this is in the top 10% of all stocks that trade on the United States. on one of the major exchanges uh, over the last 90 days. I also know that the stock is, was up over 2% on Friday and I know that it closed in the top half of its daily range and the volume was higher than its average daily volume. It met all that criteria. How do I know that? Because I built the scan. <laughs> That's what it's looking for. The stocks that don't meet the scan, they don't make the list. If they make the scan, what is that telling me? That telling me that stock is up, moving up really fast right now. And over the past 90 days, it's in the top 10%. What it doesn't tell me is how long it's going to stay there. That's why we use the 1% rule. You got to limit your risk. You can't avoid the losers. If you think you're going to avoid losers, that's like thinking you're going to win a heavyweight championship without ever getting punched. That ain't happening either. I don't know, unless they start allowing baseball bats in, in the ring. <laughs> but the, uh, <laughs> the bottom line is, that's probably not happening. So you have to plan on, it's really about managing your losses, which comes right back to managing your risk managing your same thing with a fixed indexed annuity one that's my favorite current form of an annuity there are some others out there not that big a fan the uh and if you really want to talk about that you know feel free to email me drop me a line i'll talk about it uh, i'll take a look at what you have i'll give you an honest opinion what i think in fact uh i have to do that not only because it's legally required but i don't have time I can't. I don't have time to remember the conversation. I can't write down every <laughs> everything I've ever said and go back to that. Yeah, I try to write down a lot of stuff. So, the bottom line is, I'm going to tell you exactly what I would want somebody to tell me. And if I don't know the answer, by the way, I'll find it. I got to take a real quick commercial break. You're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. Stay tuned because we will be right back. And we're back. Hey, you know, in the future, I will start to talk about a l some other topics. I mean, oh, I'm getting older. My client base is getting older. Um, they're, you know, most people get sick before they die. That that happens quite often. Uh, so those types of things you need to be prepared for. You know, that's another form of risk. You got to learn how to be that risk manager again, coming back to the common theme that seems to run through an awful lot of uh, areas of our lives is managing risk. I mean, you think about it. That's, it has an enormous impact. I mean, how do you drive your car? What kind of food do you eat? Do you exercise? What kind of work do you do for a living? Yeah. Everything's really, <laughs> it comes down to almost 
It's all managing risk. So anyway, having said that, and I know I was talking a little bit about the Lookout for the Bull website, and I'm going to spend the next 10 or 15 minutes talking about that. Allison, I often get questions from people that say, well, what makes you different from other advisors? Well, I've, I've spent an awful lot of time learning how to manage risk and different types of risk. And I uh, still work at it every day. In fact, um, Mike Seeger, the guy that runs the Lookout for the Bull website, he's done a really good job. And he's, starting, he's, he's getting it, which is awesome. You know, he's, a, he's a young guy. And I got to tell you, there are two types of people that generally are harder to work with. There are people that uh, are young because they don't have experience and they got a lot of questions and they have a lot of ideas. And those ideas, if they're open-minded, it's not that big of a deal. But if you're stubborn like I was, you got to have it beat in your head. <laughs> and eventually you lose love, you'll lose enough money to say, okay, I, I really had better take this more seriously. Yeah, or you'll just quit. You know, those are the, typically what happens. So anyway, learning it, it's, this is not that hard. And I wish somebody had shown me this stuff when I was younger. You know, I learned to write code. I bought this software package. It was $5,000 back then, which is somewhere around, how many years ago is that? 24? Yeah, 24 years ago. It's 5,000 bucks. That's a lot of money. And learning how to use it, that was a trip. So anyway, the reason I did that was to be able to test ideas because I didn't want to take anybody's word for it. I wanted them to tell me what they were thinking about doing. I would even pay. And uh, I got to the point where I got good enough at writing the code that I would uh, make deals with the people that were trying to sell me their systems. You describe it for me. I'll write it and test it. I'll send you the results. If it works like you said it does, I'll, you can cash the check I'm going to send too. I'm going to post-date the check. Yeah, if it doesn't work, you don't get paid. And I never had anybody take me up on that. <laughs> I never had a single solitary soul who swore up and down and they wanted 3500 bucks, you know, cheap compared to all the money that you're going to make in the future, right? And I didn't have a single solitary soul that ever took me up on that. And, uh, and I know why, because when I got to the point that I could and I, and I listened to their descriptions, I was able to code it without them sending me that. And, and I would send them results saying, Hey, you know, your stuff really doesn't work. Nobody ever responded by the way, but the, uh, so there's a lot of stuff out there. I get it. And there's a lot of, you know, it's just, it's crazy. The kind of stuff, the one stock portfolio, are you kidding me? The, uh, that, that is, that's, that, that's not a good way to do it. I'll just put it that way. So anyway, what is a good way is if, if you like doing this, I don't suggest you do this for anything other than a hobby that could make you some money. It'll teach you about stocks. It'll show you like right now for some reason, and I don't know what the reason is yet, but for some reason, stocks that are in home building are running. They're running right now. How do I know that? Well, I wrote the scans. I'm looking at the stocks that are coming up in the scans and a lot of them are in the home building industry, which I think is kind of cool. Why is it running? I'm not actually sure. But the first one that came up is a company called Builders First Source. It's a materials, building materials company. The second one is a home builder, MI Homes Incorporated. 
And this one's interesting. This is Navistar. That stock is, is, has died and come back to life a gazillion times. Yeah, they're trucking. That's not one of the ones I was talking about. But okay, so here's another one. Lennar, the big home builder, nationwide home builder. Uh, Green Brick Partners. It's residential construction. Why are all these stocks coming up? And by the way, uh, Freeport, uh, I'm not even sure if I know how to pronounce this correctly. I've seen this stock. I've been familiar with this stock for 30 years. Freeport McMorrin, uh, FCX. It's a uh, company that deals a lot in copper. You know, they're a copper manufacturer. So how, what does that have to do? Well, you ever see any copper piping in your houses? It's not as common as it used to be, not by far, but it's a building material. Can be used as a building material. Amongst a lot of other things. Anyway, don't know why John Deere's running, but it's running. Uh, Marine Products, don't know why that one's running. Those are, uh, I think it's a boating company. The uh, And uh, Restoration Hardware, that stock is all over the place. You want to talk about a volatile stock. Holy cow, look at the long-term picture on that one. Now, when I know when I say that, everybody's going to, oh, forget that one. No, maybe not. You never know. That's the other thing. You just never know. If you could know, you would avoid that to begin with. If you could know, you could be perfect and you could make gazillions. And you know what? Ain't happening. (laughs) Get used to it. You know what's a really good idea, I think? Before you ever start trading stocks, you should get married. Because if you get married, you will realize almost immediately that you are not perfect. (laughs) And when you try, (laughs) when you start investing, you're gonna re- if you're going to be successful, you're going to realize right away you are not perfect. And I think it wouldn't come as, it, it, that doesn't come as much of a shock to those people that have been married. <laughs> they know they're not perfect. They're not going into it feeling like they can be perfect and they have an edge. So, hey, another benefit of marriage. <laughs> It'll help you trade better. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm going down the list here and, uh, uh, oh, here's a gold stock. I, I have a one of my clients. He knows more about gold than most of the gold analysts that I read about. I mean, he sends me stuff all the time. He loves it. He's a uh, what we call the industry refers to as a gold bug. And uh, uh, so anytime I have a question, I just shoot him an email. It's not that many times. Uh, I'll trade the gold stocks. I, I would never buy one like a value investment, kind of the way I bought purple. You know, I talked about purple on the radio show. I, I, full disclosure, I own it. Um, it was up pretty good for me, and then it came down, gave it all back, went slightly negative, and now it's up again. It's it's not up as high as it was just a few weeks ago. Uh, might get there, who knows? But that was not one of those stocks that I would put a trailing stop on, and this is something you got to be very clear about. When people hear that I'm using trailing stops, oh, you do that on everything. No, I've never said that. Okay, I've, I've never said that. I don't believe there's only one way of doing anything. For that matter, the uh, and this is a style. If you're going to use the style, it's fine. You know, use the stops. If you're going to use that one percent rule, use it. Don't be using it on stocks like General Motors or Ford. That's a by the way, that's a post I need to add to that. General Motors and Ford are not going to put in runs the way these smaller companies that are growing real fast are going to run. They're just not going to do it. So trying to use those techniques on those stocks, it's not going to be successful except if you get lucky. And then the, 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 the 
worst part of that is that you get lucky and you think it's, you confuse it with skill and the market's going to show you that over a long time period that it was luck. It wasn't skill. And to have to learn that lesson over five to 10 years and lose the money you're going to lose to learn that lesson. Um, that's one thing that I would say, look, take my word for it, but do the work, verify it for yourself, verify it, get the software. You don't have to actually learn how to write code. Just mark the, the buy and sell points based on the rules that you're following and, and do it by hand. Actually, that's what I had to do before I had the money uh, to buy the software. So anyway, having said that, we talked about purple. Purple uh, went up, come down. Purple is like a value-oriented. It's a small growth company. They make mattresses. So if you want to read about them, there you go. And uh, I, I like the fact that it came back up on the list. And again, I've got about, oh, I've only got about three or four minutes here left before the uh, show is over. If you hear something here that you want more information on, please feel free to give me a call or drop me a line. Most people give me an email. Uh, if you have annuities that are existing out there, they're older, you, you want to take a look at it, I'll give you a, a uh, my honest opinion about it, the uh, whether or not. And, and I'm telling you, uh, the guy that just, we just talked about this. I'm looking at the, the benefits that he's got racked up and what he would have to give up if he were to make a change, even though the new rates are slightly higher than the rates that he was guaranteed, it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense because he's been in them for so long and his guaranteed levels are so much higher than he would be able to get guaranteed uh, at the new company. So I know that probably makes no sense to anybody but me right now, but what I'm saying is you need to take a look at that stuff. If you If you've got some that have been around for a while, let's take a look at it. If you've never invested in them, this might be a good time to take a portion of your fixed income and take a look at it because fixed income, you're going to get less than 1% on that after all fees and expenses. That's literally going to be less than 1%. Unless you want to buy high yield bonds, those act a whole lot like stocks do. They fluctuate almost as much as stocks do. In fact, here, let me give you the high yield bond corporate, uh, the ETF, from BlackRock, the decline in, uh, let's see, from February to the middle of March was 22% in a bond fund. Now, those are high-yield bonds, also known as junk bonds. The, uh, the yield on them is pretty good, but they fluctuate almost as much as stocks do. So again, it comes back to how much risk are you willing to take? What kind of risk do you want to take? Now they hear the music, that means my risk is I got to get out of here. Anyway, you've been listening to Bill Bullington here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. Have a good weekend, everybody. Good luck and good investing. You just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report. Broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. Or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC.